Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to come together and to look at your word. We just thank you for this evening and ask your spirit to guide and lead us and direct each thing that we go through. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 6. Now remember in chapter 4, the Israelites took the Ark of the Covenant out to battle and were defeated. The Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the uh, Temple of Dagon in chapter 5, and Dagon bowed down in front, of, in front of the Ark, and then the second day after they put it back up, he, he was broken up, bowed down. And every city that they took the Ark of the Covenant into, the people got sick and started to die. And that's where we are, and that's where we are in chapter 6. Verse six uh, chapter 6, verse 1. And the Ark of the Lord was in the country of the Philistines seven months. And the Philistines called for the priest and the diviner, saying, What shall we do with the ark of the Lord? Tell us wherewithal we shall send it to, to his place. And they said, If you send the, away the ark of the, of the God of Israel, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, then you shall be healed, and, you, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. Then, they, then said they, What shall the trespass offering that we shall return to him? And they answered, five golden emeralds and five golden mice, according to the number of the lords of the Philistines, for one plague was on you all and on your lords. Therefore, you shall make images of your emeralds and images of your mice that mar the land, that you shall give glory, and you shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Preadventure, he will lighten his hand from off you and from off your gods and from off your land. Wherefore then do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh hardened his heart? When he had wrought wonderfully among them, did they not let the people go and they departed? Now therefore make a new cart and take two milch kine and with their, which, on which there have come no yoke and tie the kine to the cart and bring their calves home from them. All right, so we're going to start there. So we have this situation, the Ark of, the, of God, the Ark of the Covenant has been in Philistia for seven months. Now remember we said that when they conquered the Ark of the, Ark of the Covenant, they had this attitude that they had defeated God. You know, their God had beat God. <laughs> and because remember, even before they went into battle, they said the, their God has come into the camp of Israel and he's the, one, he's the God that defeated Egypt. And it's amazing to me that the Philistines know the stories of God and Egypt seemingly better than the Israelite people because they don't seem to think those stories were real. They don't seem to really grab hold of it. It's God that rescued them. And yet the Philistines seem to understand this, and they know the story as we get further in here. And it says the, the, they called up all the, their prophets, their priests, their diviners, and said, okay, how do we get rid of all these diseases? And remember, they're being struck with diseases. And we talked about the, the emeralds. We don't know exactly what they are. They, many people believe they're hemorrhoids, tumors. Uh, but they are definitely some kind of disease that's making people feel miserable and killing people. Because that's what it said at the very end. The men that died not were smitten with the emeralds, and the cry of the city was great unto heaven. So they gather up all these people, and they're in misery. And the thing about the Philistines is they kind of know that they need to find out how to get God away from them. And they're very quickly changing their mind. They're really quickly realizing they did not defeat God, that this God is powerful. And I don't think they understood, you know, that God let his people get defeated because of their sin, because that's outside of what they would, they would consider. You know, they, they just considered their God strong, and, you know, their God would never allow himself to be defeated if he could could defeat the other gods. And so when God lets his people get defeated and broken because of their sin, it's not understood. And even the world doesn't understand that when Christians fail and, and God lets judgment come upon them, they're going, how can you have a God like that? And we hear it all the time. How can God let such and such happen? Well, he lets it happen because of the sinfulness of his people and, and the sinfulness of this world. And he lets free will have its run. If you have a sin, it will cause consequences. And the consequences for the children of Israel and their sin was they were defeated in battle. 
and lost what they thought was gone. Because remember, they said, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant in and, and we will win because the Ark of the Covenant is with us. You know, there's no way God in our midst is going to let himself be beat. The Israelites had that same attitude as the Philistines did toward their God. And so they're here saying, okay, what should we do? And these wise men actually gave a pretty good answer. If you send away the Ark of the God of Israel, you know, uh, send it not back empty, that, but in any wise return him a trespass offering, and you shall be healed, and it shall be known to you why his hand is not removed from you. So in other words, they're saying, give this God a gift. Uh, these are kind of wise people when they're not even followers of God, because the Jewish people didn't seem to understand this. They didn't understand what was going on. All they knew is they'd been defeated and they had thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people killed. And so these guys say, send it back and you're going to be healed. Otherwise, you'll want to know why, because this isn't his, their God. If you don't get healed when you do this, it's not their God. And he says, give them a trespass offering, a sin offering. Why are they giving a sin offering? Well, you took his possession. Okay, the Ark of the Covenant belonged to God, belonged to the Israelites, and they took it. And God, and he's saying, you've sinned. You've sinned. You've taken their God. You know, they, they don't have a full consequence of what's going on here. They don't fully understand it, but they know everything was good. They brought the Ark of the Covenant, put it in their temple, and all of a sudden everything's bad. And everywhere that the Ark of the Covenant goes, disease follows. So they're, they're really beginning to comprehend you know, not necessarily that it's God, but they, the ark, which they think is God. Remember, we talked about this. In their mind, the ark was God. And even in the Israelites' mind, the ark was God. They weren't recognizing that the God was where, the ark was where God sat when he came into the Holy of Holies. He says, that this is God. And we see this over and over. There's times when people have their, their lucky charms, their amulets, their... So not necessarily God, but they, it represented God in such a way that they really, it was an idol. You know, if we send this in, there's no way we can, can have, have, we lose because this is so precious that God is not going to let it, because God sits there or is there or is, is endued in it. The Philistines would have considered it the God. Uh, and remember, we said they keep doing this. You know, the Jews keep doing this over there. So they take the bronze and serpent that, you know, that was in the wilderness that they looked on and got healed when they got bit by the snakes and they started worshiping it. Uh, they start worshiping the, the temple as if the temple itself was the special thing. And you know, before we get too strict as Christians, well, we do the same thing sometimes. You know, it's our, our stained glass windows on our, on our cathedrals, our Bibles. You know, we tend to raise things up as well. Not quite as much as they did, but we, we can do the same thing. You know, that it's special. This is, this is the special thing. This is, this is how we worship God. This, and when we get to that point, God will oftentimes say, let me take it away from you and show you that that's not what's special. Uh, we can do it with the gifts. God gives us gifts and blessings, and all of a sudden we start saying, ah, this blessing is because, because of how good I am, and look at this blessing, and, and we forget that God is the provider of the blessing. So we want to be careful because we do the same thing they, they've done. And, you know, we, want to, we don't want to judge. And it gets so easy to judge. Well, how could they be so stupid? How could they do these things? You know, I've heard people say, well, if I was walking with Jesus, I would never have had any problems. All 12 disciples had problems, and they walked with Jesus. So what makes us think we wouldn't? You know, if, you know we need to be very careful about how we think, you know, we're better than them in somehow, or, or they were better than us in somehow, because it really isn't. They were human. And here we see them saying, go send this back. And they said, well, what, what kind of offering should we give? And this is kind of a strange you know, offering. They're, they're to make five emeralds. And this kind of goes into the fact that it has to be some kind of tumors or something. You know, I, can't, it, I almost think it has to be tumors because I can't imagine making a golden uh, hemorrhoid. Uh, they're not very big to begin with. <laughs> they're very painful. But you know, let's, let's make a golden emerald and five golden mice, and they worshiped the mice as well. You know, they, they worshiped strange things back then. Mice, uh, snakes, uh, frogs. Cows. You know, well, cows. Cows are still worshiped in, in, by the Hindus. Uh, you know, pretty much anything, but you can almost picture a cow. At least a cow is, is big enough to be something. You know, a mouse, I just can't imagine worshiping a mouse or a snake. Uh, 
But you know, so they say make these, make these basically works out to be 10 gifts and give them to the God. Give them to their God. And, uh, and he goes, one for each of the cities. And remember, we talked that they went into five different cities of, of the Philistines, all their major cities that they put the ark in. Probably figuring, well, he's beat this God. We'll put him over in this other city and see if this God can put their God under, under control. And each city failed. And they said, make five of them, one for each of the lords, one for each of the cities. And... Uh, and send it to their God. And then in verse, the second half of verse 5, And you shall give glory unto the God of Israel, preadventure he may lighten the, his hand from you, and off your gods, and off your land. Okay? So he's saying, okay, give glory. Now, in our day and age, we have a hard time thinking about this, you know, because we have the idea that there is one God, and there is only one God. They have no problem saying, okay, well, they have a powerful God, so we'll give their God glory. But we're not going to, you notice, their plan is not to give up their own God that's just been beat. Okay? Perhaps he will lighten his hand off you, take away your diseases, off your God, <laughs> and off your land. You know, so they're saying, you know, we know you're going to keep following your God, but give that God, God, <laughs> give that God glory. And to me, this just doesn't make any sense. You know, your God is, has been beat, been shown to be weak, and yet you're going to keep your God. And yet we do that at the same time, oftentimes in our life. We have something that's so important to us that it really is God. And God shows that he's God. And we still go, okay, God, I'm going to give you the worship. But, you know, don't, don't, don't make me give up whatever my God is. My hobbies, my sports, my work, my, my money, my, my pleasure, whatever your God is, your TV, whatever it might be. And say, God, you know, I'm going to give you glory. You, you, you're all powerful. You, you've, you've put my God in place. But I'm going to still follow my God. Yeah. And this is the duplicity we have in our minds a lot of times. Or we give it up for a short time and come back to it. We give up a sin that has us under bondage and we get victory in God and then we go right back to our sin you know, because whatever reason, we're human. And this is why everything in our life has to be crucified so that it's put to death, not, not put under subjection. Because if our, if our flesh and our sin is not crucified, We'll go back to it. We really will, even though we don't see any value in it. The, the person who's an alcoholic and a drunk, if they don't let God crucify that sin in their life, they'll go right back to it when the circumstances are right. The person who gives up smoking, I've seen it over and over. You know, they've given up smoking. Sometimes they go for years without smoking, and then all of a sudden they go, I just had to have it. There was just so much pressure. I just had to have my cigarette. All of a sudden, God couldn't keep me from it. I, and... Had to, had to go back into it. And we want to be careful of all these things. And again, careful how we look at these people. But I love in verse 6, it says, Wherefore do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and the Pharaoh hardened, you know, when he, God, had wrought wonderfully among them, and they did not let the people go, and they departed. <laughs> okay? So he's saying, remember what happened to Egypt. And this was saying, they know the story of Egypt. Apparently, better than the Israelites seem to know the story of Egypt. They're going, their God put the plagues on Egypt, and the Egyptians hardened their heart and wouldn't let them go, and yet they departed. In other words, God had victory over them, even though they had no desire. And so this is their warning. Don't do the same thing. Okay? Because remember, during the ten plagues, God devastated the economy of Egypt totally destroyed it. He wiped out the river and the fish. He knocked out all the agriculture. He, he, he destroyed the trees with the, with the hail. He destroyed the, the barley and the wheat. They put disease on the cows. When the Israelites left Egypt, their economy of Egypt was ruined completely. The firstborn of all the families had, in Egypt had died. Then Pharaoh decides to chase them, and he loses his entire army in the Red Sea. Egypt was totally destroyed, and this is what they're reminding them. Remember Egypt. You don't want to give glory to this God. You don't want to give these sacrifices. Remember what happened to Egypt. You know, and that's, you know, remember. God so often tells us, remember. And here they're saying the same thing. Remember. 
And God, remember, when they crossed over the Jordan River, what was the first thing they do? They did. Each tribe took one big stone out of the out of the out of the riverbed, because God had stopped the water, and they made a great big pile of rocks and said, "This pile of rocks is going to stay here." And, and when your children ask you, "What is this pile of rocks?" You know, this is the day that God brought us through the wow. River Jordan and, and split the water. Okay, and there's many places where this has been done in the scriptures. And this is why I keep telling us as Christians, we need to look at our life and say, here is a point where God did something in my life. I know it was God. Write it down. Put a, you know, write it down someplace. Put it in a memory book, something, so that when things start going bad in your life, you look back and say, oh, yeah, God did this. God did this. God did this. And you know what? God will deliver me in the future. This is the value of remembering what God has done. Because all of us know that when you're in the middle of a hard time, it's real easy to, to be saying, God never done anything for me. God, how come you've done so many bad things? You just never let anything happen to me. And God's trying to say, well, what about you know, last month or two months ago or six, six months ago or last year or two years ago? I did this, 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 and this. But when we're in a bad frame of mind, we don't remember all the good stuff. And this can happen to us whether it's with God or even with family. You know, we get mad at somebody, a family or a friend, and, and don't remember anything good they've ever done for us because we're mad. Okay? They're just always bad. They're, I'm so mad, I'm never going to forgive them. And we forget all the times they were there for us. And maybe there was just the right circumstance that they could not be there for us. And yet we get upset and, and angry with them and forget anything good that's ever happened. And this is what they're saying. Don't let this happen to you. <laughs> you, you don't think what we're saying is good. Then remember Egypt. <laughs> and they're looking at a negative side. Remember what their God did to Egypt. And it's just amazing to me, they understood the power of the God of Israel. Of, you know, whereas the Israelites don't seem to knew that, uh, understand that. In verse 7, they say, now make a new cart and take two milch kine on which there have been no yoke, and tie the kind to the cart, and bring their calves home with them, and take the ark of the Lord, and lay it upon the, the cart, and put the jewels of gold, which you have returned for, your, for a trespass offering, in a coffer on the side thereof, and send it away, and, that it may go, and see if it goes up by the way on, of its own coast to Beth Shemesh. Then he has done us a great, then he has done us this great evil, but if not, then we shall know that it is not his hand that smote us, and it was by a chance that, happened, that it happened to us. Okay, so he says, let's build a brand new cart, and we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant on it, which is not the way you're supposed to carry it, but they don't, they don't plan to carry it. And they say, take two milk kind, which are two milk cows, okay, cows that are still giving milk. And they say, separate them from their calves. Now, this is, this is going to be kind of the thing that you're going to look at. This is going to be a miracle if it happens because they're going to take these cows, these mother cows that are in milk, separate them from their calves, and then send the cows off. If the cows are going to do what the cows would normally do, they're going to turn around and go back to the calves. Okay, because it tells us later on that they're, they're, they're lowing, they're, they're mooing, they're, they're in desperate straits. Their moms are leaving, and they're leaving. So they said, okay, make this cart, put two milk cows that have never had a yoke on them, so they should be ready to destroy the, the cart in the first place, because there's no lead cow on this. And they're being sent away from their, from their calves. And on this, they put that, and then they put two, they say jewels, or cases, that have the gold mice and the gold emeralds in it, and basically say, "Okay, cows, go." <laughs> All right. So they're looking for. They are looking for a miracle. If these cows go to Jerusalem, or go toward uh, Israel, that's a miracle. And they know that their God is the one that's, that the God of Israel is the one that's doing it, because naturally these cows, number one, should not want the yoke on. They've never had a yoke on, so they should be fighting the yoke. Number two, their calves are crying for them because they're being put, you know, being left behind. And out of all the possible places these cows could go, they're, they're wanting them to go to Israel. 
Do you see the setting up on this that they're doing? They're, they're setting up an impossible situation and saying, if it's their God and he's really that powerful, these cows are going to go to Israel and go to the right place. And if he does, then we know it's their God that's had the, had the power over us and hopefully he's going to heal us from this trespass because of this trespass. And if they go anywhere other than Israel, it's not their God that did this to us. Now, I don't know what they're going to do, if they, what they're going to think if it wasn't, if they didn't go there. But you see what they're setting up? They're setting up this great idea that nothing, this cannot happen in their minds. All right? And really can't. Naturally, this could not happen. It is going to take God for this to happen. And that is exactly what we're going to see. God brings the cows to Israel. And uh, I, just, I just point this out because this is a miracle that people overlook. These mother cows leaving their babies behind and going to Israel from where they start in the, Phil in the Philistine territory. And, uh, and then it says, you know, if they don't end up in Israel, then it wasn't their God that struck us. <laughs> now, in one sense, I think they're wishing that maybe that isn't God. You know, that isn't the Israelite God. They don't know who it would be otherwise, but they're going, you know, we get to keep this, we get to keep this thing if it wasn't their God, and we'll have to figure out where, you know, how, why we're struck. And, uh, you know, just kind of an interesting thing. Verse 10. And the men did so and took two milks, milks kind and tied them to a cart and shut their calves at home. And they laid the ark of the Lord on a cart and, and the coffers with the mice and the, of gold and the images of the emeralds. And the kind took the straight way to the, to the way of Beth Shemesh and went along the highway, lowing as they went and turned not aside to the right nor or to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them unto the border of Beth Shemesh. All right? So these cows do what they're not supposed to do. <laughs> they leave their calves behind, and, and it says they're lowing. They're complaining the whole way. I mean, they're obeying God and going where he tells them to, but they're, they're complaining the whole way there, you know, the, the lowing of the cows, the mooing of the cows. We're going. We don't want to go. And it says they went straight to where they were supposed to go. They did not turn. And the lords of the Philistines, they're following them. They're going, are these cows really going to go to Israel? And they followed them to the border. And I think they were amazed. Yeah. Here are these cows. They're griping. They're, they're, they're making a lot of noise. But they're going where this God obviously wants them to go. And, you know, this is something that's amazing. When you see God at work, it can be very amazing sometimes when he does, especially the miraculous. And, you know, he's done things miraculous in everybody's lives. You know, there's times, you know, even in our luncheon, our, our end-of-the-month luncheons where there's not enough food and everybody goes away with, a, with plenty of food and sometimes going home with food. And you're going, I don't know how that happened. I believe it's a small miracle from God that he's multiplied our food. I've seen it happen when I know there wasn't enough food in, in, in events. I've seen him do things that are just totally inexplicable to do. Yeah. Uh, I've shared with you, Lynn was driving a car one time and the tie rod broke and she made three turns. And if you know anything about a broken tie rod, you cannot turn a car with a broken tie rod. And yet we saw the gouge in the road where she made her turns. You know, God did a miracle. How many miracles has God done in our life maybe that we don't recognize? When we get to heaven, I think he's going to show us all the miracles in our lives. And if we don't have enough miracles in our own life, we have plenty of miracles in the Bible to read about. God still does those miracles. I encourage everybody to read the biographies where God does miracles all the time for each of these individuals in their, in their stories. And one of the ones I love, and I've kept talking about it so much, is George Mueller, when he's praying for, you know, God, thank you for the breakfast for the kids who are all sitting there for breakfast, and there's no food in the kitchen for breakfast, and he gets a knock on the door while he's praying, where somebody brings milk, and another man knocks on the door and brings bread. You know, probably not the greatest breakfast in the world, but the kids had bread and, bread and milk for breakfast, which was better than they were going to get. And, you know, so we look at this and say, God, what is it you have done? These lords of the Philistines are following this thing, and I can imagine they are just completely amazed. Where are these cows going? How do they know where to go? What, what power does this God have? Because if they had tried this with Dagon, the cows would have gone back to the barn. 
Okay, and they're kind of aware of this. Dagon's bowed his face and down on there. He's been broken. He has Dagon has not been strong enough to keep the diseases out of the out of the five cities of of the of the Philistines, and all of a sudden they're seeing their god, number one, strike them with all these diseases, and then number two, guide this cart back to Israel. Yeah, an amazing thing. Amazing thing when we just look at our God. And then in verse thirteen. And they of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and they lifted up their eyes, and they saw the ark, and rejoiced to see it. And the ark came to the field of Joshua, a Beshlemite, and stood there, where there was a great stone, and they clave the wood of the ark, of, of the cart, and offered the kine a burnt offering unto the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord, and the coffer that was in it, wherein the jewels of gold were, and put them on the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh burnt, offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices that same day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines had seen it, they returned to Ekron the same day. All right. The people are excited. The Ark of the Covenant has been gone for seven months. As far as they were concerned, they were never going to see it again. And all of a sudden, on a cart, comes the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. And not the way it's supposed to be, but you know, I do like this. And it stops in the middle of the field. The cows just stop in the middle of a field in the Shemesh. Uh, they go, okay, we've gone as far as we're going. We're not going any further. Uh, no matter what. You know, I'm sure God led them there, but it's like, we're, we've stopped. We're not going any further. And the people got excited. There's a great stone. They decided to use this big flat stone area for, a, for an offering. They cut up the, they, the Levites come in. This is wonderful. The, the Levites were there, and they lifted up the ark like they're supposed to. Remember, the Levites are the ones that are supposed to carry the ark. And it's got the staves on the side of it. Nobody is to touch the ark, but there's the, the long staves on either side of it that they can lift it and carry it with the staves. And the Levites come, and they, they lift it off. And they take the golden, the golden emeralds and the golden mice out of there. They cut up the, they cut up the wood, the cart, and, make, and basically smash it for wood, for the for the offering. They put the two milk kind on there as an offering, and they make offering. And it seems to indicate that the people brought other offerings. You know, they were excited. God is back in our presence, as far as they were concerned. Again, I don't think they fully understood what the ark was supposed to represent, but they're, they're, God is back, and they're excited. Or at least the, the magic amulet is back, let's put it that way. I don't think they really thought it was God, but our magic thing that get, get, can't be defeated is back, even though it had been defeated. And uh, you know, if you read enough of the ancient type of stories, you read about swords of great power that can't be defeated. You know, uh, King Arthur had his his sword that, you know, when he, can't remember the name of the sword off the top of my head, but, you know, as long as he had that, he wouldn't be defeated. Uh, you know, and that's kind of a storyline in a lot of different ancient stories, that there's these magic things, and as long as you have these magic things, you can't be beat. And this is what the people were looking at the ark as. It's a magic thing that can't be beat. And the five lords saw all of what was going on and went back to Ekron. I don't know, it doesn't tell us what they were thinking other than, you know, probably thinking, look at this miracle. The, the cows went to, went to uh, Israel. They're celebrating, they're offering to their gods, and they don't understand what's going on at all, but they go back to Ekron. Okay, it must have been their god. Hopefully, hopefully the diseases and the troubles are going to stop because this ark has been accepted back. And then we see a bad thing happen. Verse 17. And these are the golden emeralds which the Philistines returned for a trespass unto the Lord, for Ashdod one, for Geza one, for Ascalon one, for Gath one, and for Ekron one. And of the golden mice, according to the number of all the cities of the Philistines belonging to the five lords, both of fenced cities and the country villages, even into the great stone of Abel, wherein they set down the ark of the Lord, which stone remains to this day in the field of Joshua in Beshemite. So now they said each one of these cities provided gold. All right, the gold to, to appease the God of Israel. And we see this again. 
they recognized five cities, five cities in trouble, five gifts needed to be made, is what they decided. And you know, I, I look in here, and, and it says that these mice seem to also come from the country village. I think there were more than just five mice in this thing, by the way it describes it. The five cities mentioned, but it then says, and fenced cities and country towns. So I believe all these other towns that were suffering sent a golden mouse <laughs> to, the, to this thing. So there might have been quite a, quite a collection here because we see that there seems to be more. The, the emeralds are five for the major cities, and then the mice seem to be more. And I'm only saying that because it, it indicates these other cities put, put, a, put a mouse in this, uh, a golden mouse in there. And again, I can't imagine worshiping a mouse. <laughs> Just doesn't make much sense. Uh, verse 19. And he smote the men of Beshemah, and this is God, because they had looked into the ark of the Lord, even he smote the people 53, uh, uh, 50,070. <laughs> I have to translate that into our, day, our days. Uh, 50,007 50, score, uh, six, uh, three score, which is 60 and 10. So 50,070 men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. Again, the people of Israel forget their own rules. <laughs> All right. Nobody is to touch the Ark of the Covenant. Not even the high priest was to touch the Ark of the Covenant. He would, go, he would go into the Holy of Holies, and his job was, when he went into the Holy of Holies, to sprinkle the blood on the Holy of Holies. He was not to touch the, the Ark of the Covenant. These people totally forgot what it was and looked inside. Now, who remembers what's inside the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. Uh-huh. The Ten Commandments, the rod the Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna. Those are the three things that are in the Ark of the Covenant. So these people opened up something they weren't supposed to open, and I, and I don't know why God even let them get that far, but you know, it tells us later on when the, when the man stretches out his hand to steady the Ark when David's bringing it into Jerusalem, he was struck dead just for reaching out to stop it from falling off the cart and God struck him dead. So I don't even know why they were allowed to even look at it. God was being gracious to them because of their unknowledge or whatever. You know, and they might have honestly wanted to look in and say, is the stuff still there? You know, did the Philistines take, take the stuff out of the ark? They could not just be nosy and see. I'm giving them a little bit of credit. I'm giving them a little bit of credit that they might have been, they were curious to see if it was still there. I'm trying to give them credit, but you're right. They might have just wanted to be nosy. Yep. Uh, they might have forgotten that they weren't supposed to touch it. But it seems that there's a large group. This wasn't just one or two people that did this. It's large enough, and the people understood it, that God pretty much at, at 50,000 people in that city probably wiped out the men of that, of that city. What was the three things they did? The, 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 the Ten Commandments, the pot, uh, pot of manna, and the rod of Aaron that budded. Remember the, the rod that budded when they challenged uh, Aaron and saying, who, you know, why is Aaron in charge? And, and we, we're just as good as, as Aaron. And, and God said, okay, all of you give, you know, each tribe give a staff and Aaron will put his staff in. And the one that buds will be the one that I have chosen to be ruler. And uh, remember, these are dead staffs. I mean, it's, it's, this would be like you taking the walking stick that you'd walk around in. It's deader than dead. It's dried out. Never going to, you could plant it in the earth and it will never bud. And they put them inside the, inside the tabernacle. And remember, Aaron's, Aaron's rod did not just bud with leaves. It, it leaves pulled, pushed out and fruit pushed, and it flowered and it produced fruit. Okay, God didn't do it just say, I'm going to put some leaves on there. He says, I am going to show you my power. And the wonderful thing about God is when he shows us his power, he always does it to a place where it is beyond condensation. You cannot say it wasn't God when God does something. You know, when God judged Egypt with the 10 plagues, it's like, okay, you think, you think this is all going to happen by chance? 
okay? Oh, you think the Nile turned to blood, you know, to blood by chance? Okay, let me, let me show you some frogs. We're gonna put frogs everywhere. You can't walk without stepping on a frog. You can't go to bed without frogs being in your bed. Your frogs are gonna be in your ovens. You're, you know, everywhere you go, there's gonna be a frog. Oh, you didn't think that was enough? Let me, let me give you some flies. <laughs> now, give you so many flies that you can't get anywhere without a fly. Now, and we get bugged by just a handful of flies around here. Imagine flies everywhere. You can't even breathe because there's so many flies. Then he gives you some darkness for three days where, you can't, where the light from a candle does not even shine out. And says, okay, that wasn't enough? You know, let me, let me give your, strike your cows all sick. You know, all these things that he did, and God did them in such degree that people couldn't just say, oh, we're in the middle of eclipse, a three-day eclipse. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. And worse yet, Goshen had light. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Uh, God says, okay, I'm just going to punish you guys. My people are going to have light. And, you know, when you have de that deep of darkness, total, absolute darkness will drive you crazy in just a few hours. You know, and yeah, well, that was a big part, you know, but, but we see all these things. When God steps out, he makes it obvious that he's stepping out. When he takes and delivers you from financial problems, and he does it in just so, you know, such a fantastic way, and it's like, okay, God, thank you. <laughs> or, or you're sick, and all of a sudden you are completely healthy. Not, not in stages like normal, normal health was, but you were sick, and now you're healthy. You were addicted to drugs, and all of a sudden you're no longer addicted to drugs because God did a miraculous action. A miraculous action where we get saved and, we take, and he takes the load of sin and guilt off our back, and there's that lightness and joy that we've experienced when we get saved, truly, honestly saved, and all of a sudden our entire life and outlook changes. That's a miracle. And this is what God does. He did, did a miracle. And in this particular case, he brought these cows away from their home, away from their babies, took them straight into Egypt, uh, Egypt, <laughs> Israel, you know, amaz amazing the Philistine lords, they offer the sacrifice, and then God says, oh, you looked into my ark, I'm going to kill, you're, you're now dead. And in verse 20, and the men of Beshemesh said, who is able to stand against, before the holy God, Lord God, and of whom shall, shall he go up from us? And they sent messengers and inhabitants to Kirjarim and saying, the Philistines have brought again the ark of the Lord, come down and fetch it up to you. Okay, uh, you know, God's ark is here. Take it back to the tabernacle where it belongs. You know, uh, doesn't necessarily say that he's, he's killed all our people, but they understood finally, let's get this thing where it belongs, which is what they should have done in the first place. Too many times, even we as Christians will try to worship God our way. And that is the greatest mistake that we can ever make, trying to do things our way and say, God, bless what I want to do. God, I'm going to go do this, and God, I want you to join me over here and do what, you know, and just do what I want. Instead of saying, God, what is it you want done? How am I to worship you? The people did not do things God's way, and they suffered great consequence from it. You know, God over and over tells us to worship him. He tells us to honor him. He tells us to stand before him. He tells us to study his word. He says to memorize his word. He says to follow his work, ways. And, you know, when we don't, there's consequences. And those consequences can be severe sometimes. They can be light, depending on how bad, the, how bad our disobedience is. But there's always consequence. Every time we make a, have, commit a sin, there's consequences. And some of those sins may not even be considered drastic sins, but it could just be saying God told us not to do something, and we did it. Uh, how many times... Have we done something like gossip and we ruined a friendship because we said something we shouldn't have said and it got back to that person that we said it? And, you know, we want to be friends with them maybe, but we, it's been damaged, sometimes beyond repair. Sometimes it gets mostly repaired, but there's always that lingering thought, this person really isn't my friend. This person really doesn't care for me. We don't forgive somebody. And you realize lack of forgiveness is really detrimental to yourself. You know, when we hold bitterness and anger and resentment in our bodies, our bodies themselves, physically, not just 
emotionally start to degrade. There are many diseases that happen because of the bitterness that people hold in their heart. And we need to be careful when we have these things. We go God's way and say, I am going to forgive this person even if they don't ask for forgiveness. Because I've heard lots of people, well, I'll forgive them when they ask. No, that's not what God tells us. God says, forgive them. Because you're not hurting them by not forgiving them. The only one you're hurting is yourself. Your bitterness, your anger is going to hurt your relationship to God. If they don't forgive you and they never ask for forgiveness, it does not matter. As long as I've forgiven, I don't hold it against them, then that's all it takes. And I don't even have to say, well, I forgive you. Because a lot of people go use that as, a, as kind of an attack. I've forgiven you. <laughs> you know, now what are you going to do about it? No. It doesn't even matter if they know that they're forgiven. It's me, in my heart, forgiving and letting go of something. So that I can see that person and not get angry. I can be around that person and not be angry. I can hold on to it. Because God tells us if we don't forgive others, he's not going to forgive us. And this is not for salvation. This is for our day-to-day walk with him. Once you're saved, you're saved. But if you want to be in a relationship with God and you have bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, he's going to put a block in there saying, no, I'm not going to be dealing with this. In, we're told in James that if, for husbands especially, if they have anything against their wives, God doesn't hear their prayers because they're not asking for forgiveness. Now, it doesn't say that it goes for the wives, but I'm sure it also works for the wives. If they're angry with their husband, there's that bitterness, that, that, that anger in it. But specifically for the husbands. And, you know, we look at this and say, God, help. We should be saying, God, help me to show love. Help me to show forgiveness to these people. Because true godly forgiveness is going to come from God, and it comes because he forgives us. You know, when we fully understand how much God forgives us, we should then be able to forgive others. God forgives us so completely, and it's an amazing thing when you think about it. God says he separates our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. In other words, an infinite amount of distance because east and west never, never come together. Okay? Now, if he'd said north and south, we'd be in trouble. Okay? Because you can go far enough north or south and start going back the other direction, but east and west you cannot ever come to the end of. So God says, I'm separating your sin an infinite distance from you. you know, he's thrown it into the deepest sea. And as various other people said, he's thrown it into, into the deepest sea and hung a no fishing sign on it. Okay? And that's not scriptural, but it is a true statement. He's, he's thrown it away. He's put it under the blood of Christ. God forgets our sins. And you go, well, how can a God who knows everything forget our sins? Because he said he's going to. Okay? Does he, you know, he says, I take these things, I put them someplace, and by divine command, I will not remember them because they're under the blood of Christ. Now, he does that because he says he's going to do it. You know, and, you know, can you imagine, you know, I've often thought about this. You've asked God to confess your, you know, you've confessed your sins before God. He's taken and you put them under the blood. And the next day you ask for forgiveness for the same sin. And I can picture God going, okay, what are they talking about? It must be one of those sins that they can't get over and that I put under the blood that I don't remember anymore. But, you know, we, we can almost cause God a little bit of momentary confusion. He goes, they keep talking about this thing and I don't know what it is. Because there are a lot of people that go, well, I can forgive others, but I can't forgive myself. God does. We need to be able to forgive ourselves, and we need to be able to forgive others. Now, it doesn't mean I make excuses. It doesn't mean I go, okay, because I'm forgiven, I can go out and do it again. It's, God, thank you that you've forgiven me. Thank you that I am forgiven, and I'm going to understand your word, and I'm going to claim this forgiveness and know that you've done it. Because there are times when we just need to stand on the facts that God gives us. And we stand on those facts. We may not even have a faith enough to believe the facts. But we go, God, you said it. I believe it. And then later on, he can bring the emotions and the feelings behind on it. But we start with, I'm forgiven. I start with, God loves me. And once I understand I'm forgiven, that, I love, that I'm loved, I should be able then to show God's love and forgiveness to others. And that's what God, Jesus said, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And why do we love one another? Because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us in 1 John. 
okay? And because he loves us, we love him. Because he forgives us, we forgive. Because he gives us grace, we give grace. When we start to really accept and believe it. The problem is most of the time we don't accept or believe it. And we need to be able to do both. God, you have forgiven. You've given me grace. Help me to do both to others. Help me to love people. Help me to forgive. Help me to show grace. Help me to forgive. And this is what God is saying so much that he wants for us. He wants us to be more like him because he gives us that example. Remember, Jesus kept saying to the disciples and to others, you have seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We only get to see him by faith and through the word, but it's the same thing. If we've seen him, if we're in a relationship with him, we've seen the Father. And if we've seen the Father, we should be showing these same characteristics to other people. Will we do it perfectly? I wish we would, <laughs> but we won't. We'll never do it perfectly. But you know, we should be doing it better and better each year. Be more forgiving, more loving, more grace giving. You know, more lifting and edifying one another up. You know, will we be talking? Will, could we gossip about people if we're edifying and building them up? If our heart is to build people up, we're never going to gossip about them. Because it's against, it's the exact opposite. If we're trying to build people up and make them encouraged in God, we're not going to try to tear them down, you know, on, on behind their back and everything. Because the more we live like God, the more we're going to be like God toward other people. And it takes time. It's not, I wish it was something that we just instantly said, said our prayer, got Jesus in our heart, and we became, <laughs> became perfect. Uh, unfortunately, God says, you've got a free will. It's going to take you time to get over this. And on one side, I'm glad that God doesn't just take away all of our old way of thinking, because how much do we do without really thinking? You know, we do a lot of things without thinking. It's just the way we've been, been raised. And God slowly takes our old thoughts out and puts his thoughts in their place. And that's what I talk about. You know, we come down and we go, you know what? When that person got, did something and a year ago, I would have tore, tore into them. I would, have, I would have ripped them. I would have been talking to everybody. But you know, I forgive them. And we're going, wow, I, I've changed. God, God has made a change in me. And we've all hopefully been there where we look and say, a year ago, I would have done something different. Ten years ago, I really would have done something different. You know, that is when we know that God is living in us and coming out. When we get those victories, and we're not trying to be victorious, we're just been changed. In, Galatia, in, in uh, Corinthians, it tells us, from glory to glory, he's changing me. From one good thing to the next better thing. You know, and we look back on our life and say, wow, things were really good last year, but look how good they are now. And then we look back and he says, from that glory, he's taken us to another glory. And we look back and say, wow, God, you were just so amazing, God. When, when, when does this end? And the good news is it doesn't. It doesn't end. He keeps changing us from glory to glory as long as we're letting him crucify us. Now, if we go backsliding and trying to live in our way and ignoring him, we're not going to go glory to glory until we repent. But the good news is, just as like the prodigal son, he doesn't say, okay, well, you backslid. You served me for six or seven years, and then I'll think about making you my son. The, the prodigal son's father said, get, have a feast. Get the robe. Get the ring. My son is back. God does that. When we turn back to him, he says, oh, my child's back. You know, he doesn't say, go back to square one and start all over. He says, this is my child, and he puts us right back where we left. That is God's grace. It's an amazing thing to see his grace, where he says, oh, you fell, but you're back. You, you were a teacher, and you fell, but you're back. We're going we're gonna to make you a teacher. You were called to be a teacher. The gifts of God are without repentance. When God says you are something, you are something. Even if you fail, fall flat on your face, he brings you back and says you are. If you're a prayer warrior and you forget to pray for a long period of time and you come back to God, you could be just as strong a prayer warrior when you come back. You know, if you're a teacher, you can do the same thing. You know, whatever it is your gift and calling is, he says, you're back? Okay, here you are. Why does he do that? Because it's not us that did it in the first place. I only can do what God gives me by his grace. You can only do what God gives you by his grace. I can do all things through Christ, but I can do nothing without Christ. 
nothing of long of any value anyway. And this is why we've got to keep in mind following God and letting Him change us. Not striving to do good, not striving to be perfect, but saying, God, I want to see what you're going to do. And God just richly blesses and gives us grace. And remember, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that's all the riches of heaven, being a child of God with all the authority and power that that means, and also the blessings on this earth that come with being his child. Does it mean we're going to have a perfect life? No, sometimes God lets us go through hard trials just to see, am I going to trust in him? You know, am I going to trust in him or am I going to get upset that I lost things that I thought were my blessings? You get upset, then you're going to wallow around in your pity for a while until you finally repent. If you say, God, don't understand it, but you're in charge, you're, you're sovereign, I'm going to take whatever you get. And he goes, okay, good. You'll be like Job, I'm going to give it back to you and then some. You know, Jesus told the disciples when they said, you know, we've given up family and mothers and fathers and homes. And God says, nobody's given up anything for me. I'll give you more. And he gives them an entire Christian family to, to be part of. He gives them great blessings. He makes them, you know, rulers of, of in, in eternity where they have the thrones and the 12 thrones that the apostles sit on. You know, all of this stuff that God says, I've got a blessing for you. You've given up nothing. You know, and this is just it. Sometimes when we give up a sin that we kind of like in one side, we go, God, I, I really kind of enjoyed this. And we find out that God has so much more blessing for us. We give up our time and start coming to church. We get the blessing that God gives us. We give up our time and we start reading the scriptures and God gives us great blessings from reading the scriptures. You know, we, we give up our, our, tithe, our money to give him a tithe and God says, oh good, your, your, your money is not your God. Let me, let me give you the blessings in return. You know, God, I want to just witness for you. And we watch him watch souls come into, into the kingdom because we're opening our mouth and sharing with people. God never takes away from us. He always adds. And it may not seem like he's adding at the moment, but the promise is everything works together for good. God has a good plan for us. We may not get rewarded until heaven, but there is a reward in the long run. When we go through all the trials, all the tribulation, there is a reward in the long run. God will bless. He will give deliverance. And we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to always see that you are the one in control, that you are the one that is master. Help us to go forward this day, Lord, and, and just learn to follow you and to ask you into our heart and live, live with, through you as you crucify our flesh. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.